Um, but I love Christmas. It is one of my favorite holidays, right up there with the 4th of July. One involves celebrating the birth of Jesus. The other involves fireworks. Both good things. Um, I can uh, specifically remember, though, growing up and being that kid that was up at 5 a.m., and I was just excited about being able to open presents. Um, I would sneak downstairs. We lived in a, in a two-story house. And I think my parents kind of did this on purpose because you couldn't walk down these stairs quietly. Um, but where my room was, I could open the door and the staircase was right there so I could see if the living room lights were still on, the giveaway if mom and dad were still awake. And if they were off, I would quietly sneak down and it was kind of a winding staircase, so there was a flat uh, landing spot, and I had to like step over the landing, because if, if you stepped on that landing, like sound like a dying cat was crawling out from underneath the stairs. So I had to try to miss that landing, and then look down into the living room to see if they had set up the presents, and to see if they were actually in bed or if they were waiting for me. Um, <laughs> So I, I would sneak downstairs in the, in the very early hours of the morning and just wait for my parents to wake up. Um, I would always, I always picked out the seat that was closest to the tree. I wanted to sit right next to the tree. And so I would sit there, and I can remember there, there were some mornings my mom would come out and she would say in that mom voice of, what are you doing? Go back to bed. So all of that work, stepping over the, the landing, you know, going back up, I didn't care. I stepped right on it and made the cat noise come out and went back in bed all frustrated and then would wait again for her to go back to sleep. Um, what, but what I didn't know is that my mom would also kind of sleep on the couch. Um, and as I learned, it was because of my dad's snoring, um, which I never put two and two together that dad still snores on Christmas Eve. And so there were some times where I'm like, why is she laying on the couch? Like, just waiting. I was that anxious for Christmas. But then once mom and dad got up, I would always, we would always dig through the stocking first, the smaller presents that they would put in, the, in my stocking, and then I would tear into those packages under the tree. And of course, I knew which ones were mine. I, I already knew because I had already snooped, especially if mom didn't catch me. I was looking to make sure the big ones were mine. Uh, and, and I, but once I had gotten through all the packages, I would have all of these toys and clothes and, and, and stuff that, that I wanted around me. And I always found myself asking the question, okay, now what? Like, th that excitement is over, right? I went through, sometimes there were Christmases where I didn't sleep, right? I was so excited for those, those, those packages. And especially when my dad worked for the fire department and worked third shift at the gas station and I had to wait for him to get up, um, all of a sudden, that, that anxiousness, that, that excitedness almost didn't feel worth it. And I kept asking myself, okay, now what? What do I do with all this new stuff? And there is still that excitement of, of getting new things. Uh, I think we can all kind of identify with that. Even as adults, it's still fun to get new things. But eventually, that new feeling wears off, and it's just a part of life, Right? And so I would, play, I would play with this stuff, and I, and I would show off all my new clothes to my friends, but then that newness wore off, and by December 26th, I was ready to look back, I was ready to look for the next Christmas. You see, I feel like this is the same feeling that we all get 
after Christmas, but not towards presents, but towards Jesus. You see, we just spent the last four weeks celebrating Advent, hearing sermons about the birth of Jesus, and then we get to December 26th, and we have Jesus. We now have him. He's here. We celebrated his birth, but now what? Uh, that, that feeling of that baby being born, I can tell you, even, even though we've had Sadie and she's put us through the ringer as parents already, I remember holding Lily the first, the first day that she was born and, and asking that question, okay, now what? Like almost because I had Sadie, and many of you know Sadie and the fun that she is, it's almost like waiting just for the bomb to go off. Like I'm just waiting for something to happen. Like now what? That, that, that feeling, Right? I can also remember when we had to take her back for her jaundice and thinking, okay, now what? Right? That's always a question that we're asking. And, and so this morning, we're going to look at a passage where Jesus himself tells us exactly what we're going to do if we're going to follow him. And the instructions, here's the kicker, the instructions are so simple, but they, are the, they also can be the most confusing without looking at them deeper. The instructions that Jesus gives us is simple. Take up your cross daily and follow him. Okay. The second part of this instruction is pretty straightforward and oftentimes is the only part of the instruction that we actually look at. Follow me is what Jesus says. And figuring out what it means to follow someone is a pretty easy task, especially in today's world where it's all revolved around followers. The term following is particularly popular on social media, where you are always updated on people's statuses, posts of people that you follow because it shows that you're important or they're important to you. So you're always in the know with what is going on and what that particular with that particular person or that group. Today, following is one of the is one of the biggest ways people calculate their worth, especially on social media giants like Instagram and Facebook. The more friends, the more followers you have, the better you are. Now, when Jesus tells us in Luke 9.23, when he says, follow me, he's not saying, follow me on Instagram. He's not saying, friend me on Facebook. In fact... Follow me was a byproduct of what actually came before this famous statement. Look at the whole statement with me. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. So if we're going to answer the question, what do we do with Jesus? We first need to look at what Jesus calls all followers to do. First one is... Self-denial. Now, depending on your situation, denial can either be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. Like an initial short-term denial can be a good thing as it gives you time to adjust to a painful or a stressful situation. But long-term, denial can lead to some pretty dire consequences. I can remember when one of my best friends was hit by a car while she was riding her bike and she was killed. When I was first told about it, my first reaction was, that didn't happen. She's still alive. The denial didn't go away until I was able to look at 
her casket, and there she was. But the process before that was good to be able to build up emotionally to be able to see it. I mean, I've, and I've also heard stories of people that have, have found loved ones who didn't have that time to prepare, and it, and it crushes. Denial can be a good thing, but for me to stand here and say, she actually isn't dead, and not being willing to accept it can have dire long-term consequences. So denial is a normal part of grief. And I would, I would argue that most of us use denial as a defense mechanism, especially when confronted with something that we may have done wrong or missed, which makes sense when you know that to deny something means refusing to admit the truth or existence of something or refuse to give or grant something to someone. Okay? So when Jesus says in Luke 9.23 that in order to follow him, we must first deny ourselves, that should be pretty easy to do, right? You would think that. But then if you go back a couple books to Matthew 7.14, Jesus tells us, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus is talking about those who, who follow him. Those who find it are few. Those who are able to follow Jesus through the gate is, is few. So it's kind of disheartening that the path that leads to life is narrow, and there are not many that are able to find it. And in order to know what to do with Jesus, you have to first make sure salvation from sin and eternal life is something that you want. Because there are people in this world, we can all probably think of some, that just flat out do not want Jesus. They're unwilling to deny themselves the simple pleasures in life in exchange for eternal life. Now, I'm gonna, I want to pause there because I don't want you to think of that one person that needs to be hearing this right now. I want you to first ask if this is you before you start thinking of someone else. Are you unwilling to deny yourself simple pleasures in life in exchange for eternal life? And just like there are people who think that as long as they work long enough and hard enough, they can achieve anything they want to, is that you? There are those people that have worked their entire lives to have the biggest house, the nicest cars, the most money, the most friends, the best education, only to sit alone at night wondering why they feel so empty and without purpose. According to what they have been taught, they should be the most fulfilled, but instead they feel the emptiest. It always is disheartening whenever I hear a professional athlete talk about when they're getting close to retirement, and they readily admit that they don't want to stop playing, not because they're good at whatever sport it is that they play, but because they don't know what comes next. They don't know life beyond winning championships, beyond being the best. They don't know, and so their life, they know that without that sport, whatever it is, it would be meaningless. 
You see, there's a realization that we need to come to in order to completely figure out what we're going to do with Jesus. We need to realize that we cannot achieve salvation on our own. This is the realization that you need Jesus. And there is nothing, and when I say nothing, I mean nothing you can do to earn his favor. That's why Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul tells us very clearly that the only way we can be saved from the penalty of our sins is because Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice, not because of anything that you could do. When you die and stand before God, he's not going to ask you how much money you earned, what your job position was, how many followers on social media you have, how many MVP awards did you win. This means that there is nothing you can do to make God love you any more or any less because it is a gift. No strings attached gift. You don't have to be at a certain life status, have all the accolades. He simply offers it to you because he is a gracious and merciful God. And when we realize the magnitude of God's forgiving grace, we, are, we allow ourselves to come to a point of complete surrender and ask God to do what we can not, as much as we want to. Because let's be honest, this goes against everything that our world tells us, doesn't it? You work hard, you study hard, so you can achieve something great. Again, we see this all the time with athletes, actors, musicians who come from hard backgrounds to be the best at the top in their field and able to provide for their kids a life they always wanted but could never have. We see the heartfelt stories of these professionals buying cars and houses for their families, and that is where their hope lies, in their own abilities. That's where those, a lot of times I hear the stories of the parents of, I wanted to push him to be this, this great person so that he could provide for their hope, lies, and, and human abilities. But that's not, but then Jesus tells us in, in Luke 9, 23, the exact opposite. He tells us that our hope should only rely on him and our lives should not reflect us, but should reflect Jesus. That's not hard, right? Realizing that salvation can only come from God. Not hard to do, but simply realizing that salvation only comes from Jesus is not where it ends. Just realizing that is not where it ends. Secondly, Jesus calls us to endure daily. The statement that Jesus actually uses in Luke 9, 23 is, take up your cross daily and to us today in the 21st century, that call can seem like a call that doesn't bear much weight. Because Jesus isn't actually instructing you to go out and build a big cross and, and carry it around with you all day. That is, that is not the command that he's going with. 
So what we need to do is understand what a cross meant to the followers of Jesus whom he was speaking to at the time. You see, to Jesus' followers, a cross only meant one thing. Horrible suffering, pain, and death. If you were to wear a shirt in Jesus' time, one, they'd ask you what the heck you're wearing because shirts weren't invented. But if you were to wear a shirt with a cross on it, you would get looked at as if you were wearing an electric chair on your shirt. It wasn't something to be celebrated. Because you also have to remember at this time, Jesus hadn't conquered death yet. But he sure was leading up to it. There was nothing glorious about bearing a cross. If you walk through town bearing a cross, everyone knew that you got the death penalty. So when Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you must every day carry your cross, they knew exactly what it was that Jesus was calling them to. They knew that Jesus was saying, if you're going to truly follow me, it will in fact taking, take a willingness to endure strong hatred, hostility, rejection, reproach, persecution, shame, and even the most horrible death to say no to yourself and no to safety and comfort for his sake. A sacrifice that for many that followed Jesus was small compared to the gift of eternal life. In Luke 18, a few chapters ahead of where we're at, Jesus is confronted by someone that is simply called the rich young ruler. By his title, we know that according to the world's standards, he in a sense had it all. He was, he was a ruler, he was rich, which means he had great wealth. And he was, and we're told in Luke 18 that he is even able to keep the Ten Commandments in his mind. He was set to follow Jesus. And Jesus gives him one simple instruction in order to have eternal life, was to sell all that he had and follow him. And then we're told that the ruler left sad because he was unable to. He could not depart with his possessions, which is what taking up your cross entails. Because taking up your cross means being willing to give everything to follow Jesus. Now, I want to make something clear. God calls everyone to something different. He does not call everybody to the same life. Okay, there is nothing wrong with having stuff. Okay, there's nothing wrong with having stuff. There is nothing wrong with having a nice house, nice vehicles, a good job. There is nothing wrong with that. Okay? There is... Also, nothing wrong with taking steps to move up in your job to get more money or change jobs because you can no longer support yourselves on what you make. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem arises is when you are unwilling to give up what you have in order to follow Jesus or to use what you have to follow Jesus. The truth of the matter is God might call you to sell everything you have so that you can support the poor. God might be calling you to change jobs to a different career where you get to be hands-on and serve people. 
God might be calling you to move to a different city or a state or even country to serve him. And are you willing to do so? I tell you, it was hard um, when I first uh, felt a call to go into ministry. It was hard because I wanted to originally go to Ball State for technical theater and uh, run fly lines and, and be stage managers and and that one, because I knew it's a very lucrative business to be able to be in that. And then the Lord had other plans. But I can tell you that I am way more rewarded in this job, being able to talk with you this morning, than I ever would have been running a set for a professional play company. So what are you willing to use your, are you willing to use your stuff to bring you glory or God glory? Now in Luke 9.23, there is an important word that I want to make sure you understand. It's the word daily. I want to make sure we understand what daily means. It does not mean yearly, monthly, once a century, once in a lifetime, or when I feel like it. Daily means every single Day. And we know that when he uses the word day here from, from the Greek, it means a 24-hour period. It's not any of the hypothetical, like in a day and, and all of the, it. It's a 24-hour period. So when Jesus says, you must take up your cross daily, he means every single 24-hour period, you are going to be called to deny yourself and take up your cross daily. So looking back at the rich young ruler, a lot of times people will say that his problem, that he was, he was unwilling to part with his stuff. And yes, that is part of why he couldn't follow Jesus. But the bigger problem with the rich young ruler was in fact the Jesus that he wanted to worship. And I want to challenge you. If you want to know what to do with Jesus, then you first must, need, you first must worship the risen Jesus and celebrate the baby Jesus. It is so hard to go anywhere around Christmas time and not see manger scenes depicting the night that Jesus was born. And people love to talk about it. Non-Christians, all that love it, that the baby Jesus was born, right? It's, it's a part of Christmas, right? For a lot of people, it's a part of Christmas. It's not the reason for Christmas. A lot of times, non-Christians will acknowledge that the birth of Jesus is something that is celebrated at Christmas for one reason, and that's because there is no cross-bearing with the baby Jesus. You see, the baby Jesus doesn't call us to die to ourselves and endure suffering for his sake. The baby Jesus doesn't call us to sell our stuff and give money to the poor. The baby Jesus doesn't call us to change the way we are living our lives. The baby Jesus doesn't call us to surrender everything that we are and to follow him. If you look at Luke chapter 2, you, hear, you, you read the account that Luke gives of Jesus' birth. And I love the details that Luke goes into, but specifically in Luke 2.20. This is after the shepherds have, have left their flocks. They, they went and they saw Jesus with their own eyes and saw that he was born. And they leave their flocks and now they're headed back. 
and they knew that he was the promised Messiah. They had heard the promise that God had made to restore his people and to deliver them. They knew he was born in Bethlehem. Finally, the angel had told them that the Messiah was born. They make it to heaven. They see Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger, just like the angel told them it would be. But then what they do next is my favorite part. Because after they see Jesus and tell Mary about what the angels had said concerning Jesus, they head back to their flocks. But not just casually like, oh, hey, yeah, this is a fun Christmas party. All right, thanks. See you later. No, look, if you look at Luke 2.20, it says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, at hindsight, it can seem like they're worshiping the baby Jesus. That's what the shepherds were doing. But the shepherds left not worshiping the baby Jesus. They left celebrating the baby Jesus because of who he would become. They left celebrating what Jesus was going to do. Not because God was there as a baby, but because that baby would grow up and would conquer death on a cross so that we would have a chance at eternal life. A few weeks ago, we had our child dedication. And what I loved is that, is that everybody, all of us were, wrote blessings for, for our kids, those of us who had our kids dedicated. And if you listen carefully to those dedications, it wasn't about where they were at as a baby. It was what those babies would grow up to do. Right? We, Alex and I, the only way we make it through some days with Sadie is to know that she's going to be a leader of people, and we pray for the people who get in her way. Right? Like, we, we look to the future because we know what the pain now is going to bring. Right? The same way. The same way. That's why the shepherds left rejoicing because they knew what Jesus was going to do because they finally saw the hope. They had heard about it. If you were here at the Christmas Eve service, we watched a video where I love the words that, that Simon spoke. He said, finally. Because they had heard. They had heard God had been making these promises. And he said, finally. He's here. They knew what they were going to do with Jesus. They knew what Jesus they were going to worship. So I'm going to ask you, what are you going to do with Jesus? Because spoiler alert, Christmas is over. I mean, some of us still have family get-togethers and that, and, and New Year's is coming up, and that's, that's cool. But, but the actual Christmas is over. Are you like the rich young ruler who leaves Christmas sad because that's it? And who only wants to follow the baby Jesus because there's, there's nothing expected of him? Or are you willing to, to count the cost and worship and follow the, ris, the risen Jesus? The fact that this is the last Sunday in 2020 may excite some of you or you may be pretty nervous about what 2021 holds. Well, just like you, I have no idea what's going to happen in 2021. I have no idea politically, COVID, health-wise. I don't know who's going to be here 365 days from now and who won't. I don't have those answers, nor will I ever. And here's, here's the fact that may scare some of you, or you may be okay with. There are many things that will happen in 2021 that will be beyond your control. 
21 is not, not everything's not going to go how you planned in 21. There are going to be moments in 21 that you get blindsided. A parent may walk out on your family. A family member or close friend breathes their last breath. One of your kids dies or cuts off your family unexpectedly. That can happen. But 21 has the potential to be your best year yet. I want you to look really quick with me at Luke 9.24. Because what Jesus tells us in this passage gives us the formula of what it looks like to worship the risen Jesus. Look at this. It says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. good paradox there that I didn't quite understand when I first wanted to go into ministry. It wasn't until I talked with my youth pastor about wanting to do an internship and learn what it took to be in ministry, and I will never forget the first thing he taught me. Word for word, I can remember what he said. He said, Sean, if you want to truly follow Jesus, you're going to have a giant target painted on your back. People are going to watch you, but not to see how you act or how they need to act, but waiting for you to trip up so they can ridicule you. People will hate you, especially if you decide to continue to pursue ministry. And I can tell you, there's, there's some heartbreaking things that, that I receive, especially uh, through my high school. A lot of my friends have kind of written me off thinking I'm never going to come back for any kind of reunion because of what God has called me to hear is more important than, than simply seeing them. And some of the things have, have been hurtful and downright mean, and that's going to happen. But when you know that when Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it, it gives you hope. Let that give you hope that the hatred you endure here provides hope for when you stand before the Lord. There's no target with the baby Jesus. Because the risk you take when you claim to be a follower of Jesus means giving up everything. And that's what Jesus wants from you. He wants everything. And in verse 24, Jesus tells us that it will be worth it. The persecution will be worth it. The giving will be worth it. The time will be worth it. The energy will be worth it. Even dying for Jesus will be worth it. And here's the best part of all. Do you realize that in this passage, all Jesus wants us to do is give him our lives? That's all we have to do. There's nothing that you are currently going through or struggling with that Jesus didn't die for. The risen Jesus that we are to worship died for you. That means your pride, he died for. Your drinking problem, he died for. Your insecurities, he died for. Your anxiety, he died for. Your pornography use, he died for. He died for it all so that you wouldn't have to. And if God would not have sent Jesus, we would have an eternal separation from God. But God said, no, I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to save them. I'm going to die for them because they can't, and I love them, and I want to be with them. 
So what do you do with Jesus? That's my question actually for you this morning. And which Jesus are you going to pursue in 21? I would honestly encourage you to take an honest look at yourself as I give you three next steps that will help you to follow the risen Jesus and not the baby Jesus. First, surrender your life to Jesus. And this first step is for everyone. You may have been coming to church for years now and even been serving in the church, but you've never actually truly surrendered your life. And there is absolutely no shame in saying, I used to be living a lie. I, was, I had a mask on, no pun intended. But I want to encourage you to stop pretending and truly surrender your life and be set free. Because we as a church want to celebrate with you, not shame you, celebrate with you. And if this is your first time hearing about this opportunity, please, on that communication card, check that, that you want to know more about a relationship with Jesus and that you are ready to give your life to so that we can meet with you and walk with you. And again, I want to emphasize that there is nothing you are going through or struggling with that Jesus has not already died for. And once you have surrendered your life to Jesus, don't endure alone. Join a small group, find an area to serve or volunteer in the coming year. Because as I tell our students about every Wednesday, following Jesus is not something that is meant to be done alone. Especially in a year like we saw in 2020. Man, talk about seeing God's hand work in that as we, as we launched new small groups. We were getting people connected. We were able to use Zoom And it's very clear that there's one thing that the enemy doesn't want. It's communion of believers, like-minded believers. And he is fighting hard, which makes me excited because that means that the Lord is clearly setting up his return. That's a sermon for another time. But right here, right now, walk in accountability and, walk, and watch your relationship grow with Jesus. And be poured into by a ministry leader and then watch the Lord work through you as you minister to this body of believers. And finally, step out and be a part of something new and bigger than yourself. Staying in your comfort zone gives absolutely no room for you to grow. And here's the thing. If when you step out and you be a part of something, you might trip up a little bit. You may fail a couple times, but that's okay. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. 2021 has the potential to be the best year ever, but only, only if we choose to follow the risen Jesus, because whatever happens politically, whatever happens with COVID, whatever happens in our lives doesn't matter because we're following the risen Jesus, and we know there is hope beyond the grave. I'm going to pray for us, and then Pastor Edge is actually going to come up, and he has a very, uh, he has a way to apply that third step uh, starting actually next week. So will you pray with me? God, we thank you so much that you are 
God, the, the risen Lord. God, we thank you that, that you didn't stay a baby, you didn't stay in the manger. God, but that you rose, you conquered death so that we could be redeemed. God, thank you for being gracious and merciful, Lord, and, and, and dying for us and dying for those, those sins that would separate us from you so that we could be in communion with you. God, I pray for 2021. I pray that it is our best year ever, that we see you work in mighty ways in this church, in our lives individually, God. Help us to step up and step out in faith. And God, and follow you with everything that we are. May we not be defined by the world's standards, but your standards. God, we love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, all right. Uh, thank you, Sean, so much for that challenging word. Thank you, Jesus, for all your work. So in response to that, 